Podcast of the cinema. I said as I was gently, slowly, eventually moving my microphone around to the part that where should, my mouth where goes. it should be facing you. Yes, right. Ideally, yeah. you're Dave White. I'm Alonzo Duraldi. We are film critics. We are spouses. This is our program. Yeah, and we're back to review movies rather than just sit around and talk with a bunch of film critics. Yes. And by the way, if you're an Apple Podcast subscriber, uh, for some reason that episode didn't go into your feed until like today. So uh, you may be suddenly catching up on a couple of episodes. But yeah, but every uh, the, the the conversation we had last week with Robert Abelly and Justin Chang and Manola Dargis and Peter DeBruge, where we look did, reviewed two, 2022 and looked back at the year in movies, uh, went to all the different podcast places spotify and iHeartRadio, and who knows why these things whatever happen. but not apple but i fixed it it's now on apple as well no, you so apple people thought you missed us for a week if you missed that you didn't uh, apologies yeah um we got uh five movies to talk about mm-hmm. we talk about ant-man and the wasp quantum mania mm-hmm. but we're not going to talk about Evangeline Lilly's anti-vax <laughs> wildness. Except that you just did. What I mean by that is we're not going to belabor it. No. She's wacky. It's just there. She being, she's out here being wacky. And uh, it's not my problem. <laughs> Don't care. Don't care about what she's doing. Don't care about what she thinks. She's the wasp. To me, she is simply the wasp. <laughs> Except not right now, because I haven't seen the film. No. Uh, you're going to talk about it. Yes. And, I mean, I'll get, I'll go out to see the movie. Sure. Uh, like, let's say, like, in two weeks when the audiences have died down, mm. and I can just go on a nice morning matinee. It's not like y'all need to hear from me. <laughs> On the Marvel movies. I mean, some of you have expressed uh, pleasure in the way that I talk about the Marvel movies. Because I just don't care about them. You enjoy them when you're watching them and then I you do. forget everything uh, yeah, about them. I'm not a person who, who's here to like just take a big dump on them. I enjoy them. But I do need you to help me remember what I was supposed to know going in and I don't really watch any of the TV shows so mm. I know that's about to get I know that's about to make my life even more confusing um, yeah yeah <laughs> uh, but I refuse to like uh, there's only so many hours in the day did you ever catch up to the last Doctor Strange one no okay should I well I, I, it's just that that's what one... if I did hang on I have a great idea I'll finally watch the Doctor Strange movie. Mm-hmm. I'll finally sit down with Disney Plus and watch Wakanda because 
because now I can. Mm-hmm. It, I can do it on my couch and not have to deal with three painful hours in a movie theater seat. Right. Um, and then I'll, I'll go to the movie theater to see Ant-Man because that's a short one. Yeah. And then I can just give y'all a, a three-film uh, definitive opinion Great. about them all. We'll all be very excited. I know everyone's going to be very excited about yes. this. No, I, I only mention because the, I think the Doctor Strange one is sort of the first one that does kind of-ish, at least a bit, rely on you having been keeping up with the TV shows. <laughs> no. No. Yeah. No. So. I am very busy uh, with cinema, you see. And so this is not... You're very busy with cinema and MILF Manor. <laughs> Um, not just MILF Manor, but for the love, for the of, love of Dilts. Dilts. Yes, we're, we're covering all, the whole waterfront on LKTV. And also X-rated NYC. Yes. That's Golden diff- age of television. Golden right? age of television. Um, prestige, prestige television. Over on Patreon. <laughs> so, I, um, yeah, I just, it's like, you want me to do What? Like, you want me to go see, like, four of these movies a year and watch all the TV shows? Is that is that supposed to be the entirety of my existence? It will not be. Well, it's not the entirety of mine. Yeah, but you have to devote more time to these things because of your other uh, uh, critical platforms True. that you're on. True. And I see the amount of time you devote to it, and I think, nah. <laughs> no. No. What else are we talking about this week, Dave? Uh, this week, we're also going to talk about the new film from Mia Hansen Love mm-hmm. called One Fine Morning. Uh, I finally caught up to Banshees of Inisherin, a film that came out last fall, but that I didn't get a chance to see until just recently. Uh, we're going to talk about the new movie from Albert Serra. It's called Passive Fiction. Stoked. Which you watched and I didn't. To discuss this one. With myself. Fool and, me once. And, I'm sorry? It said, fool me once. No, 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 no. We'll get to this. <laughs> you just relax, all right? Mm-hmm. Uh, knock at the cabin. Yes. We're going to save knock at the cabin. For the last part. For the last part. Because we will talk about it up to a point. At which point we will say goodbye. Mm-hmm. End of podcast. And then we will say hello again. The podcast will not have really ended. Right. It will only have ended for the people who choose not to listen to the spoilers that we're going to deliver yes. of Knock at the Cabin. And, you know, why we're spoiling it for you. Yes. Because I can't discuss this film well, properly I, without telling you what happens. Everybody knows at this point that, that if it's a Shyamalan movie, there's going to be some twists. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there really was a twist in this one. Honestly. Mm, well, but there's stuff that can be spoiled, which is what we're right. doing. Yes. Yes. So, I don't know. Let's just start with Quantum Mania. Sure. Because you have a really burning thing you have to say about it. It's fine. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> That's the burning thing. Um, No, this one's getting... Uh, kind of raked over the coals and 
I think it has less to do with this movie than with a general fatigue mm. with all things Marvel. Critical fatigue or audience fatigue? Uh, critical, uh, I think mainly, but I think maybe some audience Not that well. we are not the audience as well. Sure. We're, I, the, we're the audience that... I mean... People are tasked with people are turning out to see it, so I think okay. audience is still is still great juiced up for this. Good for Ant Man, and think, also the Wasp. Yes, I think I think critics are feeling a little like this this ongoing series hasn't quite delivered since Infinity War happened. Like that was this sort of when big, you say this ongoing series, do you mean? The series of Ant-Man stories? No, no, no. The, or Marvel, the Marvel, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Universe of stories yeah. and products and lunchboxes. Exactly. But since, <laughs> I'm kidding. There are no lunchboxes. No, no one does that anymore. Yeah. Uh, since, since Infinity War, everything sort of feels like an afterthought. And I don't know that's entirely fair, although it definitely built to a crescendo and then ended. And then now it's sort of like, well, what do you got? Now what? What do you got next? You know? Um, so this is the third uh, Ant-Man movie, the third one directed by Peyton Reed, and uh, you know I liked it at least as much as the last one. I liked the first Ant-Man less than most people, but I, I thought the second one was fun in a like Dexter Riley kind of way. It had a very sort of goofy. See here, Riley. Exactly. Ah, here, Riley. Um, the Dexter Riley is the Kurt Russell character from this a very goofy series of Disney live action movies of the early seventies, late sixties, early seventies. Yeah, the strongest man in the world. The now com- you see him. Now you don't. The computer wore the tennis computer shoes. Computer wore tennis shoes. Um, <laughs> it, th- that was sort of the vibe that I was getting from the second Ant Man movie in terms of how it dealt with science and technology. Um, so this time around, we begin with Ant-Man, played by Paul Rudd. Uh, everything's great. You know, he has, he helped save the world, uh, the universe, and, and defeat Thanos. And he's written a book, and everybody loves him, and everything's swell. The end. Uh, well, <laughs> now, of course, is when things get complicated. Uh, his teenage daughter, uh, Cassie, who's now played by Catherine Newton from Freaky, um, has uh, worked with her... With, with Scott's father-in-law, Henry Pym, played by Michael Douglas, uh, to create a device that would map out the quantum zone, uh, which is where uh, Ant-Man's mother-in-law, played by Michelle Pfeiffer, was trapped for like 30 years. Um, and before she can say, no, stop, don't, um, of course, they turn on the machine and it sucks them all into the quantum realm. Long story short, Ant-Man, the Wasp, the Wasp's parents, Ant-Man's daughter all get sucked into the Quantum Realm. The Quantum Realm looks like every 70s prog rock album cover and every 70s sci-fi paperback mixed together. Fun. Yeah, and that's fun. Right. And, and it's goofy and very trippy looking. I'm, I did not see this in 3D. I imagine if one can see it in 3D, it's probably pretty groovy. Uh, the bad guy turns out to be Kang the Conqueror. And again, if you haven't been watching the TV shows, you've never met Kang before, but he turned up in the Loki show. Who plays Kang? Jonathan Majors. Oh, I like him too. He's really good. Well, he's a you know, really, I'm excited to see this now. He's a, he makes for a good villain. And given that, right. that Paul Rudd's Ant-Man is arguably the goofiest 
member of the Avengers to put him up to be have him be the first to go up against a very villainous villain in its first in his first big screen outing is a cool combo of things. Um, and then it's you know fight 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 big ticking clock doomsday averted right thing yeah but i was entertained i thought it worked uh i i liked the rapport that uh, uh paul rudd and Catherine newton have i like the fact that michael douglas and michelle pfeiffer are given things to do and are key to the plot that they're not just sort of like the legacy casting um there is a there is a, a a cameo that I will not spoil that I did not see coming mm. of someone who has not been in a Marvel movie before. Uh, yeah, it's if 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 you like the kind of the silliness of the Ant Man movies, I thought this one worked okay. If you are fed up with Marvel stuff, this is not going to be the one to win you back. That's kind of where we are with this. What are people mad about? That's always my favorite. Uh, I think people like the first half where it's all trippy and goofy, but then they lose interest once it kicks into plot gear, I guess. Okay. So the trippy and goofy stuff is in the first hour. Yes. And then the the the, the, the fight, fight, fight stuff is in the last hour. Yes. So I could leave after an hour. Well, and again. And it would be okay. This is... Yes, but then you'd be even more confused for the next five movies. Doesn't matter. Will... I'm going to be confused anyway. I'm going to be confused when I walk into this one. Fine. Kang... These films have now become, for me, the equivalent of watching La Brea every week. <laughs> where nothing makes sense to me. And I just go, I don't know. Maybe they'll explain it explicitly along the way. I will say <laughs> Kang is explained well enough here that even if you didn't watch Loki, right. you'll... you'll... Okay. Understand what he's about. All right. What does he do on Loki? Is he bi with Loki? Is what? it Loki bisexual? Uh, Loki is bisexual. That they have not been a thing. Does he? Does he? Do he and Kang get by together? Uh, maybe not. Maybe in season two, not in season one. Uh, Who does he, Loki get by with? Uh, Anybody? Anybody good? <laughs> it's it's very complicated. There's a lot of multiple timelines going on. I we we don't have time to unpack that right now. There are, of course, you know, if you're going to go to this movie and you're not Dave and leaving after the first hour, there's stuff, I'm not going to leave. There's after the stuff first in the closing hour. credits to stick around for. Will I understand at all what the stuff in the closing credits is about? One of them, yes. <laughs> The other one is more than one. The other one is contingent upon you having been watching Loki. Okay. What's the Loki? The Loki one is after the after the after the after. Yes. The end end end. It's the end end. Okay. Well, then I then I don't have to stay for the end. Sure. End, end. All right. Great. Because that's boy. If the last thing you show me in a Marvel movie is something that I have to go, what? <laughs> you will anyway. To you, you or do. Tom. <laughs> Have you ever seen one that didn't make you go, what? No. Okay. Not, 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 not going all the way back. Well, you know what? The shawarma. Yes. Okay. That, didn't, that didn't make me go, what? That delighted me. Yeah, that, that delighted me. That was perfectly contextual. Yeah. And from that point on, nothing made any sense <laughs> ever again. I did see the trailer for the next uh, Guardians movie, which looks like it could be fun. Hmm. 
Is that all you have to say about Ant-Man and the Wasp or Quantum Mania? Uh, oh, well, yeah. Going back to Evangeline Lilly, I don't know if this is get tied your, in. Get your vaccine, y'all. Please do. Don't listen to don't listen to people with no scientific backgrounds yes. at all, please. That would be that would be a good thing. Uh she's barely in this movie. Hmm. She's in the title, but she has the least to do of the main five. What's that characters. about? I don't know. Uh, but it, I was just kind of surprised that like like Michelle Pfeiffer gets more to do in this movie than Evangeline Lilly does. Hmm. Also, yeah. Whoever styled her, yes. Like it's not a great haircut. I don't know <laughs> what the thought there was. And your hair too. No, uh, look, and she didn't pick it. I'm sure that this is these are other decisions being made. But at one point, I, I actually I turned to Tom and I said they have styled her so that her secret weapon or that her, her, her superpower is talking to the manager. Oh. It is not a good uh, look for her. I don't uh, know why they Well, we'll that. find out. I'll be the judge of this. Okay. You come back and let yeah. me know. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure everyone knows what I think about this woman's appearance. <laughs> Again, <laughs> it's, there's, there's an entire hair department on these movies. <laughs> and I'm sure they were like, here's what the wasp is going to look like this time. You and have everyone, no say. And everybody said, great. Yeah. Yeah. I finally saw The Banshees of Inisherin. Yes, you did. Last a, fall. A movie I saw in August. Right. And it opened when? Like September? Yeah. I think so, yeah. I, uh, October. It was one of the movies that I watched before I was supposed to go to the Venice Film Festival. And then you got And COVID. thought it would be a fun idea to have COVID instead. Maybe Evangeline Lilly had COVID a lot during the shooting of Ant-Man and and that's why they had to shoot around her. <laughs> I mean, she didn't get vaccinated. She didn't get vaccinated, so you know. Oh, I, I couldn't. At begin- least I assume she didn't get vaccinated I, since yeah, she's this, anti the vax. This is true, know. but like, I, yeah, I don't know how that works on sets because you know, I, think I don't either. If you I, refuse to get, I'm sure they tested her every 20 minutes. Or something, Unless she know. did get vaccinated and then decided to tell everybody else not to, like everyone who works at Fox News, maybe, maybe? perhaps, who maybe. Knows? So, okay, I finally saw Banshees of Inisherin. Yes. Um, and it is from Martin McDonough, who made In Bruges. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also stars the stars of In Bruges. Yes. Uh, Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell. Mm-hmm. It is about two friends in Ireland in 1923 and they live on a little island off the coast of northwest Ireland they are isolated on this little island not a lot going on in their little it's a little village not much that happens they're farmers they break midday two o'clock Go to the pub. Work's done for the day. They get up before the sun. They do their farm work. Two o'clock, day's done. They go to the pub. Brendan Gleeson brings his violin to the pub, plays tunes. Colin Farrell goes to the pub, has drinks. They go home to their respective uh, houses. Brendan Gleeson has a lovely dog. Colin Farrell has a wonderful sister, 
played by Carrie uh, 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 Condon. Yes. Who is a bright spot in this film. Mm-hmm. He also has a donkey. And he has a little donkey, a little miniature donkey. That's his pet. Meanwhile, there's a young man in the village named, uh, uh, oh God, I forget his name, played by Barry Keoghan. Yes. Yeah. And he, what's the right word for this kid? Dominic. Dominic is the character's name. What's the right word for this kid? Uh, if this were the South, somebody would say, that boy ain't right. <laughs> okay, yes, you're right. That's If you were Hank Hill, <laughs> you would look at him and you would say, that boy ain't right. Um, not in a not in a, a, a frightening way or, or a moral way or a moral way just you know everyone looks at him and says mm, what's your deal anyway <laughs> the film is about what happens on the day that Brendan Gleeson's character simply stops talking to Colin Farrell's character and everyone jokes around with Colin Farrell and says, well, maybe he just doesn't like you anymore. And then it turns out that that's the reason. Brendan Gleeson doesn't like his best friend anymore and wants to cease all communication and gives no reason at first. But he's pushed and pushed and pushed to it by Colin Farrell, who was like, wait a second, you can't be serious. We are best friends. Why? 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 Repeated whys. Finally, Brendan Gleeson says, you are boring. And I have decided that I don't have a lot of life, a lot of years left on earth, and I can't give you any more of my time. You're boring. You bore me. I've never been interested in anything you've ever had to say. Stop talking to me. Which is a little difficult in this village because the village is, again, extremely small and the one place that everybody, very isolated. everybody hangs out in the pub and that's it. So you could sit perhaps on opposite sides of the pub, which is what they try to do. It doesn't work. Colin Farrell's character has a tendency to uh, drink a little too much sometimes at the pub and mouth off to, you know, whoever. And eventually he does so to Brendan Gleeson. Brendan Gleeson finally says, I'm going to tell you something right now. If you do not stop talking to me, and I mean stop talking to me permanently, every time you do, Every time you break the rule of not talking to me, I will chop off one of my fingers. This, of course, makes no sense because Brendan Gleeson plays the violin and even teaches classes to visiting musicians who are there to learn traditional Irish folk music. Colin Farrell does not take him seriously. And off comes the first finger. Events escalate after this in a way that is absurd and frightening and sad. 
but also funny because this is a comedy of sorts in the Martin McDonough way. Yes. Now, if you saw in Bruges, you saw that Colin Farrell and Brennan Gleeson have really, really wonderful antagonistic screen screen chemistry with each other. They are a blast to watch together in any scene that they're in. In that film, in this film. Beyond the subject of the dissolution of a friendship, which is, I think, a great subject for a film. Mm -hmm. It makes me wonder what Martin McDonough is saying about being Irish. (laughs) Well, (laughs) because he employs so many things that non-Irish people, people who've never been to Ireland, he employs so many things that people associate with Ireland, lots of cliches. Mm-hmm. And he just puts them all in this blender and plays with them. Meanwhile, he is also drawing a parallel between this friendship and the civil war that was taking place at the time. But because they all live on an island off the coast, that does the stuff doesn't really touch them. Right. And they hear the news, they read about it, and they think, what is going on over there on the mainland? Why are they doing this stuff (coughs) to each other? You know, we just got away from England. Now we're going to try to kill each other. I feel like that element of the film, that, that analogous scenario, is probably the least effective part of the film. Yeah, and and again, I think it's a movie that opens itself up to different kinds of interpretation. I mean, there is the notion of like, is this, are these two dudes standing in for Ireland, you know? Right. Um, I, you know, again, when I saw this, it was, there was a two day period before I got sick where I thought I was going to Venice. And so in rapid succession, in two days, I saw Tar, this, and Don't Worry Darling. And in trying to think about like a, a sort of common theme of them all, I was thinking of them in my head as the Consent Trilogy. Uh-huh. Uh, and the yeah. idea in this movie of Brendan Gleeson very clearly stating his terms. And what his new boundaries are going to what be. What his boundaries are going to be. Yeah. And Colin Farrell's inability... To wrap his head around them, right. to understand them, to respect them and obey them, and how it just leads to this, you know, tragedy. tragedy. Yeah. I um that for me was the strongest uh, component of the film. The strongest theme or message, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Because it is so heartbreaking. When this happens to you in real life. Sure. Especially if you don't know what the reason is. Yeah. Especially if the person just stops talking to you. Kind of ghosts you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've had this happen to me. Sure. We were just talking about this last night. 
my, one of my best friends in college. We went to see True Stories together. We were watching True Stories last night for the LK Club meeting. Yes. Which is a monthly thing that we do where we all sit down and watch a movie and we talk about it on Discord. With our anyway, Patreon folks. Anyway. I was, we watched True Stories last night, David Burns' 1986 film. Wonderful movie. I love it. It's one of my favorite films of the 80s. It's just one of my favorite films. Yeah, me too. And I can't watch it without thinking about this close friend of mine that I saw it with. We were so in tune with each other, you know, as friends. And then I came out at the end of college, and that was not good for him. He was evangelical Christian, and that was the end of it. That was the end of our friendship. As awful as that was, at least you know what it was about. I didn't know what it was about at first. Um, He just disappeared. um, Yeah, he he ghosted me, mm. and eventually I found out through through a mutual mutual friend. friend. Um, and I thought, well, what am I going to do? I can't do anything about that. But it's sad, and it was thirty years ago that this happened. And it's, I think about it, I think it's kind of sad to this day. Sure. And when we watched the movie last night, I said, I know he still loves this movie and I hope he watches it and remembers that he bailed on our friendship. Mm. I'm not about being petty. No. (laughs) No. When you, I think given what friendship requires and what people put into them, to have them just yanked away like that. Yeah. It's, yeah, of course it's painful. It hurts like a breakup. It hurts like a death. Yeah. It is. It causes grief. Uh, did you hear about the TikTok therapist <laughs> recently? Oh, God. <laughs> do, do those words even go together? <laughs> no, Dave. Tell me about the TikTok therapist. Well, I have transcribed her words Oh, from her TikTok. I'm not on TikTok, but... It made it, this made it over to Twitter. <laughs> I see. Yeah, that's the only place I see TikToks. Where she Facebook. basically gave you a script for breaking up with a friend. Wow. Yeah. And I would like to <laughs> read you this script right now. <laughs> and I'll try to read it without cracking up, but I don't I don't guarantee uh, no any, promises. anything. I've treasured our season of friendship. <laughs> Uh, that was my arthritis cane that just fell to the floor. I've treasured, I've treasured our season of friendship, but we're moving in different directions in life. I don't have the capacity to invest in our friendship any longer. I get that it might be hard to understand, but I've been reevaluating many areas of my life recently, including my ability to be a good friend to you. I just want to be honest and upfront so I don't disappoint your expectations. I'm sorry if this feels painful and confusing. I wish you all love and success. See, now, if, can if you imagine? Gleason had just said all of that to Colin Farrell, <laughs> none of this would have happened. Can you imagine if a person in your life came up to you and had like a little notepad uh, like that they'd written this down on the seasons of... Oh, brother. Can you imagine any person that you felt very close to speaking to you as though they had been like composing a corporate memo? Best wishes. Best wishes for your, for con- your future for endeavors. Your, for your continued success. Ugh. <laughs> warmest, warmest regards. Yeah. 
Is the TikTok therapist licensed? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. But but for a minute, she became uh, very popular. Really? On the internet uh, as someone to uh, drag and Oh, well, on. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That, that I believe. Now, my favorite way of doing this, I'd say, has to be the second to last episode of the last season of Girls. Yeah, I, was, I knew that's where you were going to say. Zosha Ma- Zo- Zosha. Zosha Mamet tells off all of them. Yeah. And, 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 and. Nope. And that's not it. No <laughs> one gets it. And, uh, uh. They're what's all her, offended. What's her face? The, the, the main one. Uh, uh, Lena Dunham. Lena Dunham goes, what are you talking about? <laughs> you can't do this to us. We're the best of friends. <laughs> and Sosha Mamet goes, no, we're not. <laughs> not anymore. We're all done. I say goodbye to all of you. See all those people in that other room in there? They're my new friends. And they're better <laughs> than all of you. <laughs> that was a great moment in television. It was insane. And I would never do that because I'm like a friend mafia. Like, I don't want sure. to say goodbye to anybody. Um, I, uh, but I, I, that, that episode really like punched me. Cause I thought sometimes you might have to just tell people that nothing works anymore. Yeah. In and, your and, and that's at least, you know, that's, that's the opposite of ghosting. That's a like, here, here's my list of grievances. It's like, the, it, not only is it the opposite of ghosting, it's the opposite of this little Corporate sounding that nonsense too, yes. that the TikTok therapist. Yes. Uh, Carrie Condon, by the way, nominated for an Academy Award for this movie. I don't know if you know. In fact, all four of the leads. The whole cast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gleason, Keoghan, Farrell, uh, Conroy, oh, uh, Condon, all of them. Uh, I got to say, Barry Keoghan's character is sort of especially heartbreaking because, mm. you know, more than anyone else in the film, he feels the most trapped yeah in his life circumstances yes um so i i really like this maybe for the wrong reasons like maybe i'm supposed to be thinking about how you know the historical you know analog to the civil war but it feels like even Martin McDonough doesn't care so much about no, that. No, I think it's about how men don't yeah. know how to talk yeah. to each other a lot of times. Right. Uh, you know, and Ever. talk. Yeah. And, 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 a hundred years ago and now. Certainly not about their feelings and their feelings about each other, you know. Right. Which we were just discussing recently while we were talking about the film Close. Yeah. How uh, the culture screws up men yes. so that they are not allowed to develop intimate friendships with each other in ways that sustain them both and make them both feel valued and yeah. and and that give them that sense of affection that they want. Yeah, close friendships. Yeah. Moving on. Mm-hmm. We um we both watched the newest film from Mia Hansen Loaf. Yes. One fine morning. Mm-hmm. Starring uh Lea Seydoux. Seydoux. Yeah, this was one of those movies that kind of uh, whammied me in the feels because I didn't know what it was going to be about. So, uh, yeah, Lea Seydoux stars as a 
single mom who is also dealing with her father, played by Pascal Gregory, who is an academic dealing with the dementia. And so she has to find a facility for him, and it is a complicated and ongoing process that involves him being moved around several hospitals. A few times, yeah. Yeah, having to deal with just various aspects of uh, French bureaucracy. Uh, along the way, she runs into an old friend played by Melville Poupeau, who is married and has a kid, and the two of them embark on an affair. But it's more about just her having the wherewithal to do all the to spin all the plates that are right. being uh, thrust upon right. her. And the whole thing with the Pascal Gregory character, of course, longtime listeners of the show will know that movies about people with dementia, you know, hit me in the gut. And they then do. this is. This was also a movie about a guy with uh, a really uh, great library and the question of what's going to happen to it, which was an which is an added thing that I think that was probably also a, a big thing for you. It is a a film about not just the end of life issues for this father, but the the lack of capacity to reason and think and communicate well um, when all around him are these books and books and books because he was a philosophy, philosophy professor. Yeah. There's a point in the film where Lea Seydoux says, my relationship with him is sort of, I'm paraphrasing here, my relationship with him is entirely bound up in these books like it is inextricably linked to these books i feel more uh uh, connected to him i feel like i'm with him when i'm with his books right right now i don't feel like i'm with him when i'm with him because he's kind of not there yeah in the way that he used to be so when i'm here with his books that is when i feel like i'm with him so she's taking her time (laughs) getting rid of the books and giving them away to people that she's close to so that they don't go far. Yes. Um, Some former students of his come and get a bunch of them. Yeah. Uh, It is also a film about not just the end of life, but the beginning of other relationships and how one person can balance this stuff and often failed to balance these things, to have too much on her plate and not be able to sort through it all in an elegant way, in a way that that is easy. And Mia Hansen Love, as a filmmaker, is really good at taking care of character details. Yes gestures that people make, small comments, small actions. Her films are often very calm, very low-key. There's, uh, If you were going to parody her films, you would, set, you would do something very ostentatiously understated because that is frequently how her films play out. Well, I, I, I was thinking about this. You know, I, I recently rewatched Jean Dielman after the whole mm-hmm. sight and sound thing. And how what that movie did that was so revolutionary at the time and still is, 
is to apply the, the, the focus and craft of the filmmaker on these mundane tasks that we don't ordinarily see unfold in the course of a movie. Like the kind of stuff that would normally happen off screen is front and center. And I think Mia Hansen Love, uh, from the films that I've seen, this one and Things to Come and Bergman Island, she takes these emotional facets of women's lives, yeah. complicated, intelligent, often academic women, and puts those front and center. And it is so much about the relationships and about the sort of moments of feeling and moments of interaction and where where relationships will develop or they will die. Um, you know, that's what she's all about. And instead of going the easy way, and I'm set, you know, there's no such thing as easy when you're making a film. Sure. Okay, let's, I'm not. The relatively. Yeah. Instead of going the way of, like, big close-ups. Music cues. Music cues. She, as a filmmaker, she pulls back and gives you lots of sort of medium shots and mm -hmm. long shots where Leia Seydoux is, is, is in uh, uh, the places of her life with the people of her life, more than one person at a time often. And going from place to place to place to tend to all of the stuff in her life and all of the people in her life. And so what you get is a picture of a person who's not just acting as a solo artist, but as a person who uh, has volunteered <laughs> to be with all these other people, family, friends, a new lover, a child, and... And how she emotionally carries one relationship where she's going to have to say goodbye mm -hmm. to her father. And eventually to her grandmother, who is very, very yes, old. Her father's mother is still alive. Yeah. This. And, um, and at the same time, she's a widow. So she has to trust in just life. To make this relationship with the new guy, right, the first one work that she's out a little bit entered into since becoming a widow. Yes, so it's a it's a complex film. It's emotionally uh, satisfying because it builds very slowly, and you don't know that you're going to feel something by the end, and and you you genuinely do. Yeah, uh, I really like her as a filmmaker. Yeah, she's not flashy at all uh, no but she she takes care of her characters and she takes care of you the audience in a way that is not pandering it's not facile it is just resonant and good uh, yeah I, I i gotta i've gotta catch up with the stuff that i haven't seen yeah because everything yeah. i have seen i love so much like things to come is one of those movies that i feel like really slipped a lot of people's radar well she in it general was, it was the other isabelle Huppert movie the year yeah. the l came out yeah. but man that like that movie i still think about with some regularity in general i think she flies under a lot of people's radars mm. um and even though her films get american releases yeah. like they are not 
you know, if you are paying attention to the art house, you have probably encountered one of her films or at least the opportunity <laughs> to see one of her films. Um, so I would recommend, you know, if you haven't seen anything by her, start here. Yeah. And it's in current release. Uh, I guess it'll stream pretty soon. Yeah, Sony Classics. It's it? Sony Pictures Classics. And so uh, I just, I like her so much. And I, and I'm, and I, and I, and I hope people do. It's a quiet movie. I hope people uh, pay attention to yeah, it. Yeah, she is. Put it on your list. You know. She's emotionally honest. Yeah. So, okay. The films of Albert Serra are. What's the right word? <laughs> there is no good word. I was I was meant to review this film uh, for the wrap this month, mm-hmm. and um, the review was killed. Yes, in a uh, a situation where capital A art house is not really on anyone's menu mm-hmm. over there anymore. So that is, um, you know, who knows what's going to happen uh, to me and my. Uh, journalistic beat <laughs> that site and there are plenty of films that show up at the at your local art house for example my donkey my lover and i <laughs> cesar award winners <laughs> crowd pleasers they just happen to be subtitled uh albert Serra is not interested in pleasing uh, any crowd you know this is capital A art house. Yeah. This is uh, this is work for it art house. In other words, y'all have been listening to this podcast enough times. This Dave is Jam. this is my peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> this is my favorite thing. Um, you may recall during the uh, first part of twenty twenty. When theaters were closed, his, his 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 film that came out in 2020 called Liberté, and it was a series of uh, nighttime vignettes of people having increasingly uh, wild sex. You're you're making it sound far more um, appealing. <laughs> When Dave says wild, he just means grimly... um, Okay, sure. (laughs) Fine. He's a Catalan filmmaker. Uh, He's made several movies. And Passive Fiction is his latest. It stars uh, French actor Benoit Majumel. And features uh, French-Spanish actor Sergi Lopez. Oh. In a role where he barely speaks, but then most of the people in this film are barely speaking. Hmm. So here's, here's a little historical backdrop. In the 60s and 70s, 80s, into the 90s, France conducted nuclear tests uh, 
in French Polynesia. And the they lied about it. They kept it secret. They covered it up. And they uh, and it caused, you know, great suffering. That's the historical backdrop. Right. This film is set now. It is on the island of Tahiti. And Benoit Majumel is the high commissioner of the Republic, uh, French government official. He wears a white linen suit everywhere he goes. And he talks to the, the, the mayor. He talks to the officials of the, the island. He hangs out with the staff of a, of a hotel run by Sergei Lopez. He sort of acts like he's the caretaker of the place in a way that is part genuinely affectionate, like he feels like this is his place to be. Mm -hmm. And also that weird sort of fakey condescending politician manner. The colonizing kind? Yeah, but put a pin in the word colonization just, okay. just for a moment. Just in general, that the way that... Yeah. yeah. So he, uh, you know, moves among the people of the community in a very uh, light, light, light touch sort of way. Mm-hmm. He begins to hear rumors that the uh, French government is going to resume nuclear tests. And I think he's as angry about that for the reasons any reasonable person would be angry about that. I think he's also angry about it because no one told him. (laughs) Why wasn't I informed? This is a three-hour film about people gliding through a space that has long since been colonized. And everybody in that space has a role to play. It is not a film about the anger of the colonized. It is not a film that has a great uh, message about colonization. Mm -hmm. It is a film that is simply set in a place that is still under the uh, control of France. Mm-hmm. And, and as such, people are just sort of living their lives in that context. Mm. There is one moment in the film where he does meet with some local people who are quite angry about the possibility of the testing starting up again. Right. And they, thre- they threaten him with resistance. That they say, if if they don't watch out, they'll be violent. Mm-hmm. But that's about it in this whole scenario. Meanwhile, some French Marines show up. Sorry, French naval uh, military people show up, including an admiral who is 
kind of more interested in partying. <laughs> there is an American who shows up and is just sort of spying on Benoit Majumel. There's a, a, a Portuguese official who shows up and gets nonsense drunk and has to be taken care of by one of the women who works at the hotel. She's, she's a figure in the film who, uh, she too sort of floats between person to person. Character's name is Shana, played by first-time actor uh, Paua Mahagafanau. She is trans, and that's not a storyline. Mm -hmm. What is her story is that she is uh, another observer. This is a film of people observing each other, looking at each other, sometimes talking, although there's not a lot of dialogue. She's a caretaker for not just uh, the Benoit Majumel character, but for the Portuguese man who is sort of mysteriously there. Mm -hmm. She goes with Benoit Majumel on, on, on small uh, trips to talk to you know, other people in the local population. She acts almost in a way as his assistant, although she works for the hotel. Hmm. There is a languorous quality to this uh, film. I'm getting a stars at noon feel from this description. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because, you know, the films of Claire Denis are very frequently about post-colonial environment. Sure. And and Stars at Noon is one of them. Uh, Beau Travail is one of them. White Material. White Material. Uh, uh, for Claire Denis, though, there's a much more, I think, uh, pointed reason for, for her stories to be this way. I think Sarah is interested more in capturing uh, a mood. And here the mood is sort of simmering suspicion, tension between people, tension between uh, governments, uh, people who want things to remain exactly the same mm -hmm. for the tourist trade, <laughs> you know. Sergei Lopez's hotel, fully staffed by local people who are nearly naked most of the time. And, you know... Who famously gave that image to the world? Paul Gauguin. Right. And that is the Western idea of what the South Pacific is supposed to be. Exactly. Right? So what you get here is a film about something bad that might be about to happen. But no one knows exactly if it's going to happen, what they should do about it, and if they should do anything about it. I was never bored, even though we move from scene to scene and people are not always having fully fleshed out conversations. My understanding of the film is that Albert Sarah created a visual uh, 
script first and then spoke dialogue to the actors through earpieces. In the moment? Yeah. Okay. Which is a process that I find fascinating. (laughs) And I am swept up in the hypnotic qualities of his filmmaking. Uh, I wouldn't call it slow cinema in the way that maybe we've come to understand that. Like in the way that Sutton Tango is? Yeah, uh, but I I would call it the kind of movie that you want to uh, sort of immerse yourself in, pay attention to, let it take the three hours that it takes to give you what it's going to give you. You will be rewarded by his sense of space and his his visual uh, communication. A thing that I found sort of amusing here is how touristy the environment is, and he really leans into that. Like, mm-hmm. every drink that anyone drinks has a little umbrella yeah. in it or fruit sticking out of it. It's a fun color. Like, the lighting of the film is very frequently nightclub lighting, so there's like sort of blue rooms and red rooms. and You're waiting for the dad and daughter from After Sun to show up? Long stretches of people just moving to music and the, the naked DJ lady sort of undulating to her own creation for the nightclub. You don't know what's happening with these people other than that they are willfully losing themselves in the environment whether they were put here by the French government or whether they are simply living here. Everybody's interconnected. Everybody's looking out for their own interests. Nobody wants the bad thing to happen. Nobody might be powerful enough to stop it from happening. And they might all be doomed in this really beautiful place. (laughs) And that's Pacifiction, everybody. I have to admit, I, uh, I really, really like this film. Liberté was not a film that I probably would have seen under my own steam. It was the lockdown. We were watching it at home. I would watch this one again with you because I think it's really valuable. And I would encourage you to see it. I know you Liberté put a bad taste in your mouth. It did. And and but I, I will say this though, I think that I might have had an easier time of figuring out Liberté if we had been if we'd seen it in a theater. That that was so much a movie not to watch on your, on your television, television at home because it's so dark. Right. So like it's nighttime. Well, that's one of his things. He's often very uh outdoors to natural light. lit by candle or whatever, you yeah. know. Um so yeah, I I I I'm I'll, I'll I'll give Sarah another chance sometime. Maybe not with this one, but sometime. I would say this is the more the maybe the most accessible film he's made. So, what if you did start with this one? Pretend Liberté doesn't exist. <laughs> that it didn't fully gross you out. I know it did. It grossed me out when it wasn't boring. Um, <laughs> this one's not boring. No, okay. It is, again, moody and atmospheric, and there's not a lot of talking, but you're not going to be bored. 
That's what you said about Beautrevi. <laughs> you know what, husband? You shut up about oh, Beautrevi okay. forever. Oh, yeah. Forever. Well, that's going to happen. Because you're wrong. Mm-hmm. You're wrong. Sure. Well, that's fine. Knock at the cabin. Is this, are we at knock at the cabin? We're at knock at the cabin. Knock at the cabin. Okay, y'all. As we said at the beginning of the show, we're going to talk about Knock at the Cabin very briefly. In a non-spoilery way. And then for those of you who who don't want to hear what happens, we're going to say goodbye. Are we going to do letters before No, we're going to do letters after. We're going to do letters after. Oh, so people... Say goodbye. So the people who want to hear letters have to hear the spoilers? Yeah, that's the price of admission. Oh, wow. Yeah. You're a tough customer. Yeah. I mean, hang, hang on. I think Gary Cotty just left the room uh-huh. because he doesn't want to hear spoilers. Is that correct, Gary Cotty? Or maybe he just left the room. He can't hear anymore. I guess he put headphones on. Okay. Maybe he's like, oh, God, they're talking about Beautrevi again. <laughs> I can't with this. And now you know friend and neighbor Gary Cotty is here listening to this podcast That's as right. we record it. Um, tell everybody what happens in Knock in the Cabin. Ooh, okay, sure. Uh, so there's this gay couple that are vacationing at a cabin in the woods. And really, have we learned nothing from the cinema? Don't go to a cabin. Don't go to a cabin in the woods. Never go to a cabin. Ever, ever, ever. No good will come of it. Uh, they are played by Jonathan Groff and Ben Aldridge. They have uh, an adorable daughter, uh, played by Kristen Kui. And, uh, who should show up but Dave Bautista? And Dave Batista starts chatting up the daughter and then comes into the house and is like, oh, hey, guess what? My three friends and I, who are all here carrying these really bizarre looking um, weapons. handcrafted weapons, yeah. uh, we've had these visions, see? And basically, one of y'all needs to sacrifice yourself. The family has to pick one to die because if you don't, the world is coming to an end. And you can't volunteer to go. You have to be chosen. Uh, no. No, no, no. You can't kill yourself. You can't kill yourself. You have to be killed you, by someone in the family. Yes, one of the other ones has to do it. Yes. And and they're like, uh, no. no. We're not doing that. And then... Uh, and then terrible stuff starts happening. And then terrible stuff starts happening. So, um, so give a quick yes or no... Do you like it? Do you not like it? And why, without spoiling it? Uh, and I, then I'll do the same, and then we'll say goodbye to the people who don't want to I hear. don't like it, uh, because I think it, it flirts with ambiguity, and I think as an ambiguous premise could have some, some genuine you know interest. Um, but M. Night Shyamalan is not particularly interested in ambiguity. He wants you to know exactly why and how and who and when. And the more this movie digs into its own tropes, the more it raises questions that it cannot begin to answer. Refuses to answer. Yeah, it refuses to answer. Yeah. And and comes off just sort of ridiculous, I think, in a lot of ways. Uh, and then really doesn't deal with the fact that you have gay dads on one side and uh, apocalyptic visionaries who claim... That they're not homophobes, but it just happens that this is the family that they all saw in their visions that has to do this thing. And also doesn't really delve very deeply into the idea of 
Well, it, it basically comes down to a choice of either these people are nuts or they're right. Yeah. That's it. Those yeah. are the choices on the mm-hmm. table. Yeah. And the movie has to pick one. And the one it picks, you're like, okay. When it picks that side, you are left, you are, you are given to even more questions. Exactly. That are never uh, answered satisfactorily. No. So yeah, not not down, not enjoy. Um, but I have questions. Yes, and we can only discuss those questions in the spoiler part. In the spoiler part. I know. So, yeah, you said that you've been kicking this around, which I'm, I'm fascinated been, to hear about. Because I have been kicking this around. I pretty much flushed it out of my brain uh, <laughs> because I had other things to deal with. Um. All right, y'all. You don't want spoilers? Here's where we say goodbye. You know. You finish watching the movie. You can come back. Come back. With this last part. Listen to the great letters that people have sent us. Mm-hmm. You can listen to us talk about the questions that we have about this film. Yes. Or at least the questions that I that have. That you have. Everybody ready? Three, two, one. Goodbye. Here come the spoilers and the spoiler discussion. Okay. All right. So, yeah. So, so after the uh, after the first refusal... Uh, one of the on four, the part of the family, on the part of the family, they refused to participate. Yes, yeah. one of the four kills himself, and one uh, of the four visionaries. One of the four, yeah. And uh, Dave Bautista turns the TV on, and indeed, horrible things are happening around the world. There's tsunamis. Yeah. There's a plague. There's planes are going to start falling from the sky. That comes later. It I does. Think. Yeah, but, but the world is going to end in a horrible, fiery, cataclysmic way. Right. Yeah. And at all first, of humanity will be killed. And and you know obviously they're in this abandoned they're not abandoned but they're in this far flung cabin they don't nobody's got oh it's cell. not abandoned there's a gorgeous a beautiful, beautiful library built in bookshelves yes yeah, so many books yeah. uh, but what I'm saying is it's a remote that's the word I wanted a remote yeah. house yeah so they don't have cell coverage so they have to kind of take their word for it well uh, to the extent that they have to decide whether or not the news footage they're being shown is fake or not but. The movie makes it pretty clear that it's not fake; that it really is happening. And so, so then the movie then firmly says, "No, no, no! This is real. the 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 world is indeed coming to an end." And so then it opens the question of like, and so will one of these people sacrificing themselves end that? And I just think it's a ludicrous premise, and it, it you know it, it basically relies upon it, it it turns this into a faith-based movie yeah you have to you have to believe in the notion of like this old testament sacrifice that all of humanity is going to be tested and that this one family determines whether or not mankind will continue because if they don't choose and they don't sacrifice everyone on earth it will die except for them and they will be sort of condemned to wander the ruins of the planet yes. for the rest of their lives. Yes. And I'm sorry. And then and, and they're gay, so they can't uh, repopulate. I, I don't know if I can test that one. <laughs> but it, 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 it's just like, okay, that's you're asking us to swallow a lot here, Mr. Shyamalan. Mm-hmm. And why? What's the point? What is the metaphor here? It, uh, there may be one. Okay, lay it on me. All right. Here's what it may be. It may be an allegory about 
queer assimilation and sacrifice. Go on in terms of here is what the planet expects queer people to do. They expect them to go above and beyond and still everything terrible is going to happen. <laughs> yeah, there, there, is the, there is the notion of like the continued existence of civilization depends upon its most put upon people giving their all for people who don't deserve it. Okay, I didn't say that. But what I uh, feel is that there is the possibility that Mr. Shyamalan is doing what he can to, you know, assert the the uh, uh, the dignity of queer people by showing you the unreasonable demands placed on them by the world. Having said that, he is not queer himself. I was going to say, do you think he's given this? A and I don't thing? know if that's. I, first of all, I don't know if I'm right. And I don't know how he would know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so... This is an adaptation so of a I'm, novel, we should I'm, point out. I'm giving... Yes, an adaptation of a novel where things end very, very differently. differently. And so, in fact, the novel ends with the family rejecting uh, the, the thing. Yeah. Rejecting uh, uh, the call to do this. Uh, because at one point, there's a struggle for the gun. The daughter is accidentally killed. Yes. And they are told, that doesn't count. That doesn't count. You One more still has to go. Yeah. And they decide, we don't want to be in a world where that didn't where, count. Where the death of our child didn't count. Yeah. Um, and so, that's the way the book ends. Yes. The film ends with Jonathan Groff telling the man, who's the actor that plays the husband? Uh, ben, uh, uh, oh God. Keep your, keep ben, your Aldridge, ben, ben Aldridge. Ben Aldridge. <laughs> Telling Ben Aldridge, I know they're right. I too have had a vision of the future where the world is at peace and you and our daughter are experiencing a wonderful life as a family. And, so kill and, me. And the movie has previously made it clear that the Ben Aldridge character is an atheist and Jonathan Groff's character is not. It has also gendered their relationship in a kind of unusual way. And I shouldn't even say unusual. In a really all typical, too typical yeah. way. Uh, that I found it irritating. Um, okay, so there's that. I, here's the thing. I don't think that, that M. Night Shyamalan has given a thought about queer people in his life until adapting this novel in which he had to. I'm trying to be a generous reader here okay. of, of, this, of this filmmaker's intentions. Let's say that that's his intention, right? In that case, it becomes a film about, you know, sacrifice from a group of people who are constantly sacrificing mm -hmm. for the sake of straight people. So there's that one thing I've been kicking around. The other thing is this. Dave Bautista continually invokes God as uh, sort of the, the reason this is happening. God is the reason this is happening. He then says that throughout history, families have been chosen to keep this apocalypse from happening. Do we now live in a world that is without any other religion? Because if so, then 
sure, I guess this makes sense, that God would just toy with people for all eternity, you know, for the sake of his own uh, fun, to allow hundreds of thousands of people to die in calamity before someone finally makes the right decision to save all of humanity. Mm -hmm. So God is fine with hundreds of thousands of people dying to make a point. To make a point. And if, in fact, we live in a world where let's just pick Christianity because this is the United States. If we live in a world where Christianity is the, is the, is the thing, then if Jesus existed and, and the story of Jesus is true, then why would you need more sacrifices? Yeah, because that, that was the whole... kind of the point. That's kind of the point of Jesus, that was, he was a sacrifice yes. for everybody else. So I didn't, I, that didn't make any sense, and the film has no interest in going down that road and exploring any of that. Furthermore, finally, let's say you and I are the couple in the cabin Mm -hmm. and we have a little daughter. Mm -hmm. My question is, let's just say it's all true, Mm -hmm. right? And that neither one of us uh, is an atheist. Neither one of us, you know, uh, 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 is fighting them on the, on the truth of their story. Mm -hmm. What's in it for me? (laughs) I'm supposed to save humanity. Yeah. So that, Donald Trump and Marjorie Taylor Greene and, you know, the, 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 the Westboro Baptist Church and the MyPillow guy, the MyPillow guy, they all get to live and keep uh, uh, trying to ruin and destroy queer people, right? Yeah. And they won't ever know that queer people sacrificed their lives for them. For the sake of all humanity. Yeah. They will never know that. And my question to that is, why? What? What's? Why should I? Yeah. Why should I? What's in what's it for the me? Plus, what's the upside What's? Here? What's, yeah. Who, who benefits from this? You know? Having said all of this. The uh, cinematography is great. It looks great. It's very tense and very exciting. Uh, and it's it, freaky when you start seeing planes fall out of the sky because that's a phobia of yeah. mine. And I um, I can't say I hate this movie. I can say that I think it is a giant mess yeah, of I, a story. I, I admire the camera work. I think the, the there's a really great cast here. Uh, Groff and Aldridge are good. Bautista, Rupert Grint, Nikki Amura, uh, uh, Amuka Bird, and, and Abby Quinn. Uh, young Kristen Quigg is really uh, terrific as a child performer. Um, she, yeah, she absolutely is. But yeah, this movie is nonsense. And the, for me, the more you start unraveling it, the, the more nonsensical it becomes. And, and uh, you know, admittedly, on, at some level, I, I hate, you know, we, we're, we're going to be talking next week about Jesus Revolution. Which we is sure a, are. An upcoming uh, a film about a, a historical moment in the sort of American evangelical movement. Yeah. And it's... Spoiler, it is better than a lot of other faith-based movies. And I was thinking about why. 
And it's because because it is about a thing that's taking place within the church and that everybody in the film, with a few exceptions... Buys into because it's taking place in the church. Yeah. Yeah. With the exception of like a handful of drug addicts and a Satanist, everybody in the movie <laughs> is somehow in, already... A really sexy Satanist, too, hey, which I, you know... Yeah, well, you know... How are you going to deny that? Uh, but the thing is, because it's not dealing with non-believers... Right. It's... It avoids the minefield of stupidity that so many faith-based movies get into. And this movie, as an atheist, I feel like is constantly kicking sand in my face. <laughs> because it's, there's, a, there's an undercurrent of told you. <laughs> kind of, yeah. For sure. Uh, so that's it. I don't know what to tell you. Should you go see Cabin in the Woods? I don't know. Knock at the Cabin. Knock at the Cabin. Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods is a much better Log movie. Cabin. Yes. Artificially flavored maple syrup. <laughs> there's a there's a noise there's a there's a there's a, a noise going on. What is that noise? Is, is I that, hear the bloop? Is that, is that phone? Is your, it? maybe it's Gary's phone? Is it Gary's phone? Oh, I hear, see it see it right there. Yeah. Oh well, Calm I down. can't I can't fix it. All right, we have some letters. We have three three letters. KD <clears throat> says hi, friends. I loved the year in review episode as usual, but I was motivated to write to defend us movie lovers who do not seek out theaters. A few of the statements in the last episode felt a bit judgy. Oh, yeah, sorry. Alonzo. Oh, sure, pin it on me. It was you. Just because you remained mum for most of that episode. I was fairly mum. You know, I like to let the guests talk yeah. on the year in review As do episode. I. I just, yeah. like, I, somebody's got to throw some questions out. <laughs> uh, so here's why my husband and I, in a middle America city with a relatively decent art house, mm. don't go to the movies. Number one. We watch a lot of movies. <laughs> in 2022, we watched over 200 films. Ooh. We can't leave our house that often. <laughs> Fair. I get it. Number two, movie tickets are expensive. Also true. Let's say we watched a quarter of those in the theater at $20 a pop. That's on the cheap end. That's $1,000. Yeah. We spend about $50 a month on our various streamers, which works out to less than $3 a movie, and TV shows are free in that math. <laughs> uh, number three, movie theaters are not that great. Also, it feels like the majority of our recent past five years theater experiences have been badly projected with obnoxious patrons and featured noise distractions that we don't that don't exist in our house. <laughs> Number four, we are good movie watchers. Not to brag, but we have good movie watching habits. Proper TV settings, the lights are off, the phones are away, we are focused. At this point, theater experiences are more distracting. I can see that. Five, we live in the middle of the country. <laughs> Even with a pretty good local art cinema, which we really do want to support, we were members before the pandemic, a lot of what we want to see just doesn't make it here. Hmm. So yes, that's my defensive explanation about why about why we are out here actively disappointing Manola. <laughs> We're not lazy. <laughs> Sorry, we love you, Manola, and Peter, and Robert, and Justin. Thank you for always helping to build our watch list. We're very excited to see no bears. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Everything you're saying is true. Yeah. No. No. Totally. Um. And and if we sounded scoldy, I apologize. That was not our intent. I. You know. Um. I would scold uh, some of my friends in this city, in this specific city, uh, for not uh, uh, 
supporting the art house like I, I wish they would. Sure. But these are the people who ask you about movies you've seen, and when you tell them, they're like, "No, no, 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 no." We mean right, yeah. <laughs> Friends who go like, "What have you seen lately?" And I start telling them, and they're like, "No, no, 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 not those kinds of movies." <laughs> I'm like, "Well, that's what I'm talking about today." So beat it if you don't want to have this conversation. And now I have two uh, letters that go back in time, just a little bit. One of them is from listener Josh, who. Uh, messaged me on Instagram. Hang on. Yes. So Josh uh, talked to me a couple weeks on Instagram. He said, forgive me for not sending a proper letter, but I was very late listening to this week's episode and I couldn't remember the email address. Manoliumpodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. In regards to the movie You People, hmm. I feel I have to say that I did not think it was very good. It wasn't the worst, but it just wasn't very good. Guess who with Bernie Mac and Ashton Kutcher was better? <laughs> Ouch. And guess who's coming to dinner with the always impressive Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy was better than both of them. These are simply my thoughts as a black man who is in a long-term relationship with a white woman. Hmm. Obviously, I do not speak for all black people, but considering the subject matter, I feel I have a pretty good view on this topic. My biggest issue with the film is that Lauren London's character never once calls out her father on his crap. Hmm. He's not wrong about that. No. She kind of lets it unfold and she lets Neil Long kind of deliver that stuff right. to him. Uh, he continues, I strongly disliked Jonah Hill's character. I found him whiny and entitled. The best thing he did was attempt to get his mother under control. Eddie Murphy's character was allowed to be horrible and bigoted for the entire time, and Lauren London's character never says a thing to him about it. The entire movie felt like a giant lecture on how not to behave when you're white and integrating into a minority family. While this is certainly a topic that needs to be discussed in the situations the characters find themselves in, uh, often the case, I, I feel it was a terrible missed, op missed opportunity to do something better. Considering this film was written by a black man, well, it was written by Kendra... Uh, Kenya Barris and... Uh, sorry, not Kendra. Kenya Barris and Jonah, and, Hill. and Jonah Hill. So they collaborated on the film. Uh, he should have had the courage to shed a brighter light on the ways in which we, as a people, are often incredibly bigoted. Also, Nia Long was wasted. Mm. He said, P.S. While watching the movie... With my mother, Jonah Hill came on screen and she said, he looks like he smells. <laughs> this has absolutely nothing to do with my previous statements. It just made me laugh. <laughs> and it might make you giggle as well. Well, here's the thing. My response to him, I'll just read my response to him on Instagram was, all caps, it was the slick back hair. <laughs> they looked wet and dirty the whole time. Tell your mother she's right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, I was entertained by you people, but it is definitely a missed opportunity, and it's a movie that... I like the film. ...does not have the courage of its convictions, and that it it, it flirts with being around yeah. tricky, complicated issues, and it, it boils everything down to a very sitcom-y hugs and lessons, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's why I, I, I accepted it as the light entertainment that it, it was meant, I think, to be... Um, the fact that we don't have more films about subjects like this makes it feel like every film about this kind of thing needs to but, speak definitively. But I think, but this one I think 
brushes up against it does we talked about stuff. that yeah uh, anyway. it brushes up against the complicated stuff and then retreats runs yes yeah. okay this letter goes all the way back to December mm-hmm. uh, but it made me feel so nice that I wanted to read it okay. out loud uh, and and I got permission uh, it's from Guy Branham yeah. our beloved Guy Branham he says, getting you rhapsodizing about Abraham Ben Ruby, <laughs> then recommending the 1988 film The Bear before analyzing The Whale is a highlight of my December. <laughs> also, in big episode 600 on the subject of tar, or more specifically, the scene with the conducting student who asked, the scene with the conducting student, you asked, which side is... Todd Field, Mm -hmm. taking seriously, and I would argue that Tar is taking seriously the argument that taking things seriously should not be taken seriously. Mm. Which is camp, (laughs) which you guys discussed. But I think it's important to realize how hard it is for us to accept that important Todd Field and important Kate Blanchett and important Berlin apartment and two hours and 40 minutes of film are being deployed to be ridiculous. (laughs) This is an atheistic film about the petty gods of our time. Or maybe not. Uh, and he said, uh, thank you for your broadcasting. Linoleum knife is a bomb. Oh, well, that's very kind. That's the part guy. that made me feel all warm and, oh, yeah. uh, and, and loved. I like to, I would, you know, sometimes you have to go to the Aesop store to get a nice balm True. for yourself. And that well, costs a lot of money. If we can be that We're balm free. for you, <laughs> then we're delighted. Uh, yes. And we, we have, uh, Plenty more letters where those came from. Uh, and we'll, we'll read them later. To in future episodes. And if you want to write us about this episode, again, drop us a line at linoleumpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, hey, listen to my other podcasts, won't you? Maximum yes. Fun. Sorry, Maximum Film on the Maximum Fun Network. Breakfast it's All Day. It's a tricky day. one. The show's called Maximum Film. Yes. It's on the Maximum Fun, fun Network. Network. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Christy Lemire and I do breakfast all day on YouTube, but also as a podcast. And I pop in on a weekly basis on uh, Deck the Hallmark as well. Um, you can subscribe to this show, of course, at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review there. We'll read it on the air. You can also leave us positive feedback in the many places that we stream, including uh, Stitcher Radio, TheLounge.com, iHeartRadio, Spotify, um, Castbox, Podbean, etc., etc. Uh, follow us on the social media at Linoleum Cast. Thank you, Blue, for our wonderful theme music. Uh, see what he's up to at bluebleu.bandcamp.com. We'll be back next time with more. Until then, goodbye.